The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, prepare to be hacked. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 339 with guest Phil Hack, recorded live Tuesday, April 8th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine. The leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man who got bourbon-faced on Sh Street, Carl Franklin. Hey, thank you very much for tuning in. This is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell back for another episode of .NET Rocks. Hey, Richard, how are you, sir? I am well. It's actually nice to be home for a whole week. Yeah, we just got back from the Dallas Tech Fest as we're recording this intro, and uh, boy, we had some fun there. I did the keynote uh, in the evening, which was a, a fun thing, and also got to do my fun with programming yet again, which was awesome. I had, I, you know, you have some guy come up who plays piano, and he played, uh, I think, Maple Leaf Rag or something like that, and played my piano from Dallas in New, in New London. That's awesome. And I saw that. It was a lot of fun. People really go crazy for Absolutely it. Absolutely useless, but fun. It's fun. That's the whole idea of my talk. <laughs> Have some fun. So uh, we let's get right into uh, Better Know Framework, and then we got a little more to talk about. All right, sir, what do you got? All right, well... How many times have you been doing some real-time programming where, you know, looking at console dot, uh, you know, write line statements just doesn't cut it because there's a lot of data being generated and there's a lot of time-sensitive data, uh, and you're trying to find, you know, uh, something that's taking too long. Profiling is an option, but, you know, sometimes you just want a little stopwatch. Right. So the system.io.stopwatch class might be just the ticket. Oh, yeah. Yep, you can measure it in milliseconds, or you can measure it in ticks. You can right, have a ticks are even more granular. Ticks are ridiculous. They're on the nanoscale. I can't remember what the scale is, but it's ridiculous. Really, really small. Really small. That's it. If you uh, want to check it out, go to the docs and look up system.io.stopwatch. Awesome.
So you have an email for us. I do indeed. And this one starts out, hey, guys, notice he avoided the whole Carl and Richard thing. <laughs> What's up with that anyway? What is up it's with like, that? Who cares? Ever since I started listening to the show about a year ago, I have thought of something to email you about while listening on my way to work, and then I would get to work and totally forget about it. Ah. But now is the time. I will try not to be long in my comments. First off, great show, most entertaining technical podcast ever. The topics that I've heard recently were a little strange and really hit close to home. They're strange and close to home. What's up with this I guy? love that. We heard about Mac development with Mono, shipyards and shipbuilding, <laughs> Java programming, robots, and I believe John Goodyear even mentioned his welder all on a .NET talk show. It's not a .NET talk show. It's a talk show for .NET developers. There you go. Well, get this. I used to be a steel worker in a shipyard. I am now a programmer working mostly in .NET who works exclusively on a Mac. And wow. I am into hobby robotics and have built a few small robots. I am currently working on a large enterprise Java application. And I do plenty of welding and steel cutting in my spare time. Hey, that is awesome. That <laughs> just seems unlikely. Apparently, all we did was talk about stuff he cared about. That's great. Kind of, He's not a Java developer. And he goes on to say he'd like to uh, explore some other ideas and asked about managed C++ and also a study on third-party components, which I find interesting as well. Because, mm. I mean, actually, we're sponsored by a third-party component sure. vendor, uh, Telerik. Couple but uh, it's an interesting idea to dig into these things more. And, and if you have other show ideas uh, like Ryan had here, send us an email, .netrocks at franklins.net. And I always like hearing about when we go off topic, you know, away from .net to some degree, that we're still hitting stuff that matters to you. So that's always a challenge for us. But by all means, let us know. And uh, thanks very much to Ryan Cook. Where are we going to be? We're going to be at DevTeach next week, right? Yeah, next week we're at, De at DevTeach for in Toronto. Right, in Toronto. And uh, we're going to be doing that panel discussion with uh, Ted Neward and Oren Eaney and Scott Bellware on the future of .NET. I want to see, see if we can get Jim Duffy to join us. Jim, this is a public plea from Carl to you. Please join us on this panel. Please. <laughs> Will you please? It'll be a great discussion. And with that, Richard, let's introduce our guest today. Very excited to have Phil Hack back with us, this time with his Borg implants. Nice. <laughs> As a code junkie, Phil Hack loves to craft software. Not only does he enjoy writing software, he enjoys writing about software and software management on his blog, hacked.com. That's H-A-A-C-K-E-D. Phil recently joined Microsoft as a program manager with the ASP.NET team working on the ASP.NET MVC project. Welcome back, Phil. Hi, it's good to be back. Resistance is futile. Just thought I'd <laughs> say that right, exactly. off the, right off the bat. So can we attribute your uh, move to Microsoft to coming on .NET Rocks? Because the timing was pretty close. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Which <laughs> has been oh, man. call us out, man, because we're making this stuff up. We're just making it up. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what? I may have already been t in this talking about it. Then I, I can't remember that far back. Seems like another world when I was in LA. Yeah, I'm 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 fascinated at because Scott Guthrie has recruited some amazing talent, and you. Oh, so, and oh, you. Gee, here we go. This is how the show's going to go, and right? You. And you. And me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Scott Hanselman was the first to fall. I think you were next. Mm -hmm. Can you can you tell that story? 
Uh, yeah, so what happened for me was uh, I was visiting the campus uh, uh, for, like, uh, the VSIP conference, kind of, a, you know, the Visual Studio Integration Program for my last employer. Right. And I uh, happened to be walking around, and, uh, you know, about this time I was thinking about a change of scenery as well as a change in job. And, I uh, ran into uh, Scott Gu, and he, you know, I told him, like, hey, I'd love to, you know, chat with you. So uh, he, he said, or he actually, he saw me walking around and said, hey, come by my office later today around so-and-so time, and, uh, you know, um, let's chat. And so when I showed up, he uh, showed me on the whiteboard, like, uh, what he was working on, like his little prototype of uh, the MVC framework. And as soon as I saw that, I mean, right then and there, I said, well, how do I work on that? I, I want to work on that. So we got the ball rolling, and that pretty much was the thing that uh, sort of clinched it for me, is that, you know, I wanted to work on a framework, something very interesting and uh, uh, appealing to sort of my sensibilities about software design and architecture. This is so much yeah. nicer than the version I heard where Black Van pulled up and they put a bag over your head. <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, yeah. See, now that I have the board game plan to rewrite history, so I have to. This is oh, the no, I get story. it. Yeah, the black bag. That's that may be what really happened, but my memory's been erased of that. <laughs> so you really don't. Yeah, they know. had a little pen with the flash. <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember. Oh no, you've been neuralized. Well, I mean, uh, it's not just you. Scott Goo has been hiring lots of. Uh, I've been hiring lots of people out in the out in the open source world and just doing good and interesting projects. That's no accident, I'm sure. Uh yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm sh- I'm sure he's looking to make changes in terms of how we write software, and I think it's uh, some of that is starting to bear fruit. Um, you know, if you look at ASP.NET MVC, uh, one of the things we recently put up was uh, all the source code for it on the Codeplex site. Um, what's interesting about that is that, uh, you know, we already have the source code, uh, you know, available, so to speak, for the .NET framework as a whole. Uh, the slight difference with the MVC one is that this is a product that's still not even in beta. It's in a preview state. And we're putting the source code up, uh, you know, as we make progress on it. And uh, the source code uh, has a slightly modified reference license, so it will allow people to make edits to the code and uh, but not redistribute them. So, uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you guys are open sourcing the MVC framework, and I, I kind of want to clarify it. It's not an open source license. It's merely uh, a license that makes the source available to you and allows you to, you know, tweak the code if for some reason you needed to tweak something and deploy it to your own servers. Mm. You just can't redistribute the code. I mean, it's got to be an interesting way to get feedback on the product, too. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting way of getting feedback. Uh, one thing we can't do right now is take uh, take back. So, for example, if people send us code, we really can't, you know, incorporate that, unfortunately. Uh, but, um, you know, and a lot of people will look at that and say, well, you know, this isn't open source, this sucks. But, I mean, when you compare it to how this stuff happened before, uh, you know, with ASP.NET or with the .NET framework, uh, you know, this is, a, I think, a big step forward in transparency. And yeah, and when we, people give us feedback now, they can give us very direct feedback. You know, in in blah.cs line two hundred thirty seven, that int should be a double. <laughs> right, right. We're like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> so that kind of feedback, you know, you can give uh, pretty pretty clearly. I mean, you could always look at the source and reflector, but now you can see the actual names for private members, you know, rather than the made up ones, and and you get to see. Uh, 
you know, any comments that we leave in. So the question is, does this impact the code you write to know it's going to be on CodePlex for the world to see? <laughs> well, um, yeah, not really. I mean, uh, at least in talking to the devs. So I'm not actually writing the source code for MVC. I'm more of the uh, prototyping ideas, doing app building, and kind of, um, you know, helping to manage the project. But in terms of the developers, you know, they are trying to write, you know, nice, clean code all, you know, all along. So... Uh, I don't know if it's affected. You know, I I thought it might, but they're they're like, no, we just kind of carry on. I mean, they just don't cuss anymore in the comments. That's all. You know, keep the language clean. <laughs> you guys that's, still that's fair? Do you still just put little surreal comments in there every once in a while to see who's reading them? See yeah. if people pay <laughs> pay attention. You know, I well, I've joked about it, uh, but uh, um, the the devs don't want me having commit access right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to earn their trust, you know, like, hey, man, I can write code just like anyone else. But but I, I think a part of that is that my time is better spent uh, doing app building so and uh, and design work and prototyping. Because uh, one of the things that happened with uh, the first preview was, uh, or the second, even the second preview, is that uh, uh, there were a lot of scenarios where unit writing unit tests, which is a Something we want to be a first-class supported scenario, right? It was like being able to write unit tests of your code um, was kind of cumbersome in simple cases. So, uh, you know, and part of that was just my fault in that I didn't have time at the time. I was just kind of getting ramped up, drinking from the fire hose. And I didn't really have time to really sit down and, and play a lot with the application and do write my unit tests. And also, I, I had written some, but, you know, I have all my own helper library, so it felt very easy to me. But but the, the issue was that, well, you know, someone approaching this new shouldn't need to download my PhilHack helper libraries, right, to write unit yeah, tests. Right. So uh, so the in the up, upcoming, the next release, we're going to, we have a lot of uh, re, uh, refactorings of how controllers work and such. That's going to make uh, writing uh, unit tests for it much easier, and a lot of that uh, comes out because I spent time writing unit tests and realizing, wow, this is painful. Uh, I spent time reading through the forums and other stuff and getting feedback from people, and uh, and so we're kind of incorporating a lot of that feedback into the next design. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how well it's received or not, and uh, you know if people you know get it because we've we've changed some things kind of drastically and some things not so drastically and uh the next uh the next uh the next release that people can look at for those who are really really interested in following the progress will be uh, a codeplex source push so um so we're going to have sort of uh these codeplex source pushes intermittent when we have something interesting to show and then, and then on a uh, wider time scale, we'll continue the normal CTP process, where we'll have preview three, uh, you know, sometime, and then uh, preview four possibly, or beta whenever you know, whenever our schedule makes sense. Yeah, so it's like you're uh, making the raw build available to people as long as they're prepared to deal with the consequences of it's a raw build. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, in open source projects, we had, you had this concept of even having nightly builds, you know, and that's something I'd love to work towards. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, it, everything takes time and, and people getting comfortable with the changes, right? So, you know, as I always tell people, baby steps. And, and uh, this is, I think, a great baby step in that now we're going to have these intermittent builds available. And who knows, maybe someday down the road we'll actually have nightly builds. Um, 
I'm not really pushing that for now because uh, just we're about to, you know, change over source control systems and this and that internally. So, well, and I've got to um, think there's at least a couple of Microsoft legal people out there having coronaries <laughs> because of you. Nice. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because uh, the guy I worked with, you know, I went, I was in this meeting with uh, one of the um, legal representatives, and I was expecting it to be kind of this battle, uh, you know, some old school guy who won't understand what we're trying to do, why we're trying to do it, and will just like clamp down the law. But uh, but but the the guy I ended up working out with was like totally got it right off the bat and totally understood you know um, like the benefits of it and and even suggested certain terms that were like more liberal than I even suggested right wow which uh, which was really cool it was really cool to work with someone like that I mean obviously then you know when I get a little bit of rope I try to take more right and so uh, <laughs> eventually I, I start pushing the boundaries but at least you know I. It, it's a more collaborative environment where I'm understanding, um, you know, their viewpoint, right? Like, you know, Mike, like the, the ultimately, you know, Microsoft, you know, has concerns about trying to, uh, like the take back thing. Microsoft has real concerns that, you know, on many levels are somewhat legitimate. So about not taking take backs. Yeah, no, uh, I can understand mm-hmm. where they get into that situation. I mean, it's just, there's so many convoluted issues there that, 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 that's tough. Yeah, uh, it's fascinating to see that progression, and, and I do. I have to agree with you that idea of baby steps that they're you're moving towards a day where those things are possible. How long mm-hmm. it's going to take is hard to know. Right, right. Yeah, and it, you know, in some ways, I think the you know maybe a good use of uh, some of Microsoft resources. And this is just unofficial, my opinion. You know, yada. I don't speak for my employer. Blah blah blah. But uh, is you know changing software patent law, right? Uh, I think some what people can patent in terms of software is be- becoming ridiculous. You know, patenting algorithms, right? It's like patenting mathematics, right? And so uh, you know that sort of thing makes it very makes it a very hostile climate to write software in, where you feel like if somebody sends me a bit of code you know, that I could, you know, get sued for billions of dollars down the road if I use it, you know, because yeah. they patented it. <laughs> yeah, you, like, you know, you when, when, the, when a lot of this stuff is just obvious, you know. <laughs> it's like they, they, you're laying landmines in your success. This will only matter if we're successful. Right, Spoken right. like a true software patenter, Richard. Ah, uh, shush. <laughs> you file three or four patents and all of a sudden everybody's all over you. Uh... You know, we sort of just dropped into the middle of MVC, and I know we've, yeah. we've done a show in the past, but maybe we should start uh, a little bit closer to the beginning and talk about what the whole MVC idea is all about. Yeah, let's start at the concept. Like, sure. whose idea? Uh, and this really was Scott Guthrie's idea, huh? Well, if you're talking about MVC as the pattern or MVC on ASP.net? No, on, on ASP.net. ASP.net, yeah. Okay, because <laughs> we could go all the way back to 1973 and talk about MVC. But, yeah, MVC on ASP.net, I think, was pretty much uh, uh, Scott Goo's idea. Uh, at least, he, I know he developed the first prototype on a plane ride. Because he was off to some conference, he was on a long plane ride, and gets off the plane, and he has a full prototype of how it could work. And I think that's what he demoed at a conference, um, the Alt.net conference in Austin. Right, the very first one. The very first one, right. And so I think uh, there was a, v- a very positive reception to that uh, initial one. And so uh, uh, when uh, Microsoft went ahead and started, you know, put dedicated some resources to it and uh, got it off the ground. So I didn't actually come in till, uh 
till near the end of the first preview cycle. So, like, just before, uh, not too long before preview one came out, uh, was about when I joined in and started working with the team. Hmm. So, what is it that MVC is trying to solve here? That's a good question. Uh, I think what it, so I was chatting with someone today about this and, you know, he kind of had this observation that it feels like we've gone from ASP where you're really close to like basically just response out writing the output right. all the way over to web forms where you got these designers and models. And now with the pendulum is swinging back with MVC back to more of the close to the metal. And, uh, you know, what I pointed out to him is that, you know, MVC is an alternative to, uh, ASP.NET web forms and, uh, the problem it solves is that, you know, for for developers who started off in sort of a VB line of business, you know, forms-driven applications, uh, ASP.NET originally came out to sort of, um, with the abstraction of, like, developing on web forms over the web. And so that made it easier for the VB line of business developers to switch over to the web because the model was somewhat familiar, right? If you double-click on a button, you know, you get this event handler and the code behind and it sort of tries to hide the web from the developer. Yeah, if you know uh, how to build a web form, you know how to do this. Right, right. But there are consequences to that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, every abstraction is, you know, Joel Spolsky writes, every abstraction is leaky, right? Uh, abstractions serve their purpose, though. So, for example, in this day and age, you'd almost never suggest to people to write their own memory managers, right? You know, we have this abstraction over managing memory called the garbage collection. Yeah, and I would so, go the next uh, step. Anybody who suggests they're going to write their own memory manager, it's a good measure of their insanity. Yeah. Right. So there's nothing inherently wrong with developing abstractions. The issue is just understanding where those abstractions are leaky. And some abstractions are leakier than others, right? Right. So where you're may- maybe you're abstracting too much and, and people need to understand wh- a little more about what's under the hood, you know. And I think ASP.NET Web Forms is uh, somewhat like that where, uh, for example, with garbage collection, it works well enough that, you know, it's good to understand what's happening under the hood, but if you don't, you can still write productive programs. But I think with uh, you know web forms, uh, it's very rapid for building like the eighty percent. But when you go that next twenty percent, sometimes uh, depending on what your needs are, you you might run into problems. And so uh, you know one thing is we're making investments in web forms to help address those things directly in web forms. But uh, you have this whole group of developers that kind of grew up with the web and they are used to development frameworks like uh, PHP or Rails or, or uh, you know, whatever that, uh, that is uh, closer to the web, so to speak, right? Like where you have really tight control over your URLs, you have tight control over your markup. Mm. And for those developers, the WinForm paradigm doesn't actually feel natural. Um, you know, like myself, when I first started, I started with classic ASP, and I, I had never built a, a WinForm. So mm. I actually liked ASP.NET when it first came out because I, I thought it was kind of a neat way of uh, developing software, and I always wanted, you know, I, you know, writing stateless software was was challenging, you know, like going to college, everything's stateful, then you go to the web and it's stateless. So you go to ASP.NET and it feels stateful again. So... But uh, like I said, so this new class of developers, uh, or this, you know, are really interested in both programming closer to the web, and also there's a whole set of developers that are just really interested in, um, you know, clean software architecture, uh, separation of concerns, uh, patterns. So uh, what MVC is kind of addressing that that need. So. Um, 
you know, the way I describe it is that it's not that the pendulum's swinging back. It's more like we're recognizing that there's a really large community out there. And a huge number of, of the community are really happy and fine with webforms and will probably stick with it. There's no need to, you know, rewrite anything. But there is a community that, that may, was being ignored or left behind or, or whatnot. Uh, and I think it, you know, maybe a smaller set, subset of the entire community. But, uh, the, the issue here is not to say, well, you need to, you know, get on board with webforms, but more to say, okay, what are your concerns? And, you know, perhaps a different type of framework would better address, uh, your needs and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of address, uh, that market and that need, uh, more specific to their needs, if you know what I mean. Like, rather than uh, trying to get everybody on web forms. Does that make sense? Yeah, that yeah. makes perfect sense to me. Uh, so now I'm trying to figure out what the audience for MVC really is. I mean, obviously, if it was launched at alt.net, uh, is that sort of talking to the kind of audience we're talking about? Test-driven development is a factor, sort of agile principles. Uh, what are the what are the factors you think on folks that are really going to like MVC? Yeah, I think the the uh, like I was trying to find a term to describe them uh, other than just saying the alt.net because I think it's slightly broader than the alt.net developers, but alt.net is certainly a, a target audience. We would love for. Um, to make sure that uh, the things we do uh, appeal to that mindset. And I think that mindset is, A, uh, you know, people who really want tight control over their HTML, uh, who, like, really like being close to the close to the web, so to speak, right? So some of that is, uh, you know, um, not having abstractions that do markup that they don't have control over. Uh, you know, a classic example is if you add a web form control to, you know, in a nested panel and a nested other naming container, right? Uh, then the idea of that control becomes CTL zero zero one dollar sign, you know, CTL zero zero two dollar sign, blah blah blah. <laughs> and then you're like trying to write some JavaScript in a separate file that you're going to reference in a script tag, and you know you don't even know what ID to use. So with the MVC, you know, you're the one who's emitting the markup. It means a little more work for you, perhaps, but you, since you're the one emitting the markup, you know, your IDs aren't going to get munged. Your, your HTL is not going to get munged. Hmm. And it does strike me that the kind of personality that will like this is the sort that wants control over what is sent to the browser, right? Kind of markup is generated and so is willing to do more work to get the markup the way they like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's that aspect. There's also those who really want tight control over the URLs, right? They they want the URLs to be hackable, so to speak. Right. And what I mean by that, and it's not named after me. Yeah, not um, only uh, one A? <laughs> excuse me. What I mean by that is, like, if you, like, one of my favorite examples to use is Flickr. Uh, you know, I start clicking around Flickr, and I used to be on there a lot, and then I, I started noticing that the URL has a nice pattern to it, right? If you're looking at flickr.com slash tag slash kittens and you decide you want to look at puppies you just change it in the address bar and and it's not just like oh yeah that's encouraging good web browsing behavior phil yeah (laughs) Yeah. why not just tell people to use the back button all the time while you're at it that'd be awesome (laughs) well here's the thing is uh, this is not just limited to me and techies like me but i started noticing that non-techies like my wife would would start navigating certain sites that had where this is natural, where you'd look at the address bar and see the stuff, was starting using the address bar as navigation. Mm. 
So I, I think this is kind of a trend in, in these type of sites. And certainly that's one of the things that MVC does is that you've got a very nice looking, very clear, uh, hintable URL. Right. And, and the other benefit to that is search engine optimization, right? Uh, SEO. Uh, whereas, uh, before you might have a URL default.aspx question mark ID equals one, two, three, you know, ampersand, bunch of other stuff. And then, you know, the fact that ID equals one, two, three is, you know, the category beer as opposed to the category food, uh, you know, the search engine doesn't know that. And, right. and search engines tend to add a lot of uh, weight to the URL of a page. Uh, so, like, having that be actually be, you know, slash uh, category slash beer, you know, makes it clear to the search engine. And what's good for the search engine is often good for the human, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's an interesting angle on this that, that it, SEOs, rather than going category equals one, to actually say category equals beer, that to have a search engine actually be able to pick that up and know that to relate that to that content is pretty compelling. Yeah. And, and so those are sort of more the cosmetic side of it. There's also the, uh, um, the actual architecture and how you develop apps, right? Uh, you know, web forms is notorious difficult to write unit tests for. And people have addressed it by, uh, implementing sort of, uh, MVP patterns, supervising controller patterns. But, uh, it, it feels like a lot of work. And it, it would be nice if the framework itself, uh, at a more core level, uh, was supported that sort of separation of concerns and the ability to write unit tests. Yeah. And you've said separation of concerns a couple of times. Mm-hmm. To me, the biggest reason to do that is testability. And I think ASP.NET has resisted automated tests really well up till now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I told you uh, resistance was futile. Didn't I say yeah. that? Well, you know, I try to tell people that you, while I've swallowed the pill, I try to put it in the side of my cheek and, and nice. uh, drive uh, a little <laughs> bit of my own agenda, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you'd be surprised. Uh, I think the um, the winds are changing, and uh, 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 one of the core things that we core goals we've announced it about ASP.NET is, you know, is supporting uh, unit testing, automated unit testing, or or even TDD, if, if you will. Right. Um, I, I don't know if you know if everyone here really understands fully what TDD means. So that's one of the things I'm trying to educate people about. You know, that uh, a lot of times people equate test-driven development with a testing activity or QA activity when it's really a, a design activity. Yeah, so uh, I, I draft the tests around building the app, test-first kind of mentality. Well, test-first is just one extreme of test-driven development, isn't it? Uh, yes, and you've, I, you, Mr. Franklin, you jump right in here because you have done a raft of shows on this topic. Well, I mean, according to JP Boodhu, there is the, the whole test-driven development ranges from wrapping end-unit uh, tests around existing functions on one end of the spectrum, and then test first on the other end of the spectrum. But most people fall somewhere in between. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So I've always equated TDD with uh, the movement with test first development, and then in terms of just the general writing unit tests in general, I just I didn't really have a label for that. I just said, well, you know, testability is kind of the term I use. Was that yeah. we're really focused on testability. We're not. We're not really forcing anyone to write their test first or test last, sure, but okay. if you are a, a test first programmer, we certainly don't, or any kind of unit test programmer, we don't want to prevent you from doing it. So, you know, right. back to my antidote earlier, I mentioned that, you know, our, you know, we've got a lot of complaints about how, you know, difficult it is and how not testable, 
um, you know, our controller actions are right now. So, you know, we're addressing that. That's, uh, I don't, one of the nice things about this now is I'm not spending all my time trying to defend why we were making design decisions to help support testability, you know, because I, I still get that in the, in the general overall community. Once in a while, someone will ask me, like, why would you, you know, why would you allow testability to affect your design, right? And I, I, my response is like, you know, or why should testability be itself a goal, right? Shouldn't the goal be all these other things? And I, right. I, I kind of feel like, well, I think testability as a goal in its own right is a good thing. <laughs> you know, like if no, you know, absolutely, if you, yeah. If you can't write tests of your code that are automated, that that uh, give you a nice quick feedback cycle into designing your code and writing your code, then um, you know, that's a, that's a real helpful thing. And, yeah. and it's a worthy goal in its own right. And it supports all your higher level goals, right? I mean, your ultimate goal is to, to write software that solves a need for your clients or for your audience. And, uh, you know, ideally something that they really enjoy, right? That's usable and all these other things. Those are the real goals. But, but, you know, like, like any kind of architecture, everything's layered, right? Ultimately, to meet, make that goal, you want your software quality to be high. Do you know how to build Web 2.0 AJAX applications with Web 1.0 components? Right. You just can't. In order to have next-generation web apps, you need next-generation components. And that's exactly what our friends at Telerik have for you. Their upcoming product, codenamed Rad Controls Prometheus, is a huge pack of web controls built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET AJAX, which will add previously impossible performance and interactivity to your next project. Just listen to this. The new controls mirror the ASP.NET AJAX API, so development is straightforward. Client scripts are shared, so loading time is pretty much instant. And if you just set a couple of properties, you'll be able to automatically bind to web services for even more efficient operation. After all, the facts speak for themselves. The new RAD editor for ASP.NET AJAX loads up to four times faster than before. Similarly, RAD Grid handles thousands of records in mere milliseconds. But again, it's best to try for yourself. Visit Telerik.com slash ASP.NET AJAX and download a trial. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Phil, can I ask you, I mean, you're still working on MVC. There's obviously another version in the works. Is there anything you can tell us about that? Sure. Uh, so the next release uh, is going to be pushed down to CodePlex. Um, should be relatively soon. I don't really have a, a solid date I can announce. But uh, it, this is going to be the source-only push that's really, um, for the for those who are really uh, comfortable going into CodePlex, you know, hooking into TFS there or using the subversion bridge to TFS and downloading the code on their machine, compiling it, and hacking away at it, you know, yourself. Uh, the next major release will probably be, uh, uh, you know, a few weeks after that. And uh, Anything you can tell us about what these releases will have? Yeah, so the the, the roadmap um, is is actually published on CodePlex, although I don't have dates associated with them yet. I'm still kind of working on when we want to do things. So in the next release, I think we're going to have a lot of improvements and, and refactorings of the helper methods. Uh, we have a lot of refactorings of the controller um, and uh, some improvements to the uh, action filters. So what will be interesting about this next release is there's not a huge number of new features we're adding. We're actually uh, spending a cycle doing a lot of improvements to the core code and how you write uh, write the stuff. But I think 
one interesting thing about this is that our audience is developers and not end users in a way. So, you know, to them, the uh, sort of like the the thing you're coding, how should I put this? Like when you're writing an app to the end user, the important thing is like what features are on the web page, right, or something like that. But for the framework, right. it's really like how do they write code against your code? And so uh, that's one of the things we really want to improve that experience with this next release. So in the next preview, we're hoping to have some work, uh, Ajax work, um, and some of the bigger features uh, down the road uh, for so we're, we're heading down the road towards RTM, and RTM uh, of version 1.0 is going to be out of band, fully supported. Uh, so mm. for that release, um, we're looking at making sure we have an AJAX story. So we've been doing some prototyping here and there, but uh, I'm not sure if that's going to make it into the next preview, which is my hope, or the preview after. We're also doing some prototyping and work around some sort of component model, um, uh, which is going to be, which is a little bit challenging in terms of like uh, just how it works and how you, you know, explain it to people, right? And what I mean by that is like if you think of writing a component for ASP.web, not ASP.NET web forms right now, uh, you can pretty much add it to the toolbox. You drag it onto a page, and you know you're you're almost done, right? Because everything's encapsulated in that control. But with MVC, because you really have separated things out, you sort of need something in the view. And then you need something in the controller side to respond to the, the component in the view um, if you're going to do that kind of component model. So one route, you know, I'm kind of thinking about is I think in the MVC world, most of your components are going to be mostly almost client side, right? So like a, a classic example is if you compare the uh, ASP.NET calendar control, when you turn off JavaScript, it renders out all these little links for the days and everything. Right. Um, but if you turn JavaScript on, it's just this like date picker control. Yeah, it's a lot more efficient, really, from a code point of view. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in the MVC world, trying to emulate that down level thing with the, the clicks and everything and maintaining state, it's a little more painful in the MVC um, world. And, and, and the question I have is like, I'm sure we can come up with a component model that, that allows you to do that sort of thing. But I sort of feel like that in many cases, if you're using a calendar to select a date, that the the proper down level uh, down level down level view of that should actually just be a text box, right? So that if I'm using a screen reader, I don't suddenly get, you know get this like screen reader telling me March March one two three <laughs> four click four click four click five, right? Like instead it's date and then text box, right? Right. But yeah. if you're in an up level browser with JavaScript enabled, you get this nice date picker control. I, I could, and in my experience with the Ajax libraries uh, for ASP.NET is that they're very web form centric. So it's got to be challenging to bring Ajax to MVC. Uh, yeah, well, some of those, yeah, some of those controls. But we're looking at if you look at the Ajax control toolkit. Yeah, a lot of those controls are implemented as extenders, and what that means is like you could uh, take the control and point it at a panel, and suddenly that panel becomes collapsible, or it adds behavior to these existing elements. So we've done some prototyping internally where we would take those control toolkits and then point them at it at just a normal div, and then we just reference the, uh, you know, Ajax, the Atlas libraries directly, and we've gotten some of those things to work as, as is, you know, uh, with a little bit of hacking around on our part, but without having to change their code. We've got some of those to work internally. So wow. uh, that, that's kind of exciting progress. Although, um, whether we, I don't know if we're going to roll the, we probably won't roll that into the RTM that, you know, if we do anything 
in that regard that'll be uh out of band. Um, but yeah, in terms of like things like the script manager, right? That's yeah, very web form centric. Uh, making versions of that that work with MVC is is kind of what we're uh, the road we're going down. And one of the things, you know, one of the core principles that another core principle we're sort of following is, you know, this idea of playing well with others. Right. So, um, you know, if you you can swap out like view engines with N velocity or enamel, which is kind of interesting, um, view engines, or you can swap out, you know, uh you can hook in your own dependency injection or inversion of control containers, right? Such as uh Castle Windsor or Structure Map or Unity now. Um and so in regards to JavaScript, the idea would be, you know, if we do some sort of script manager type thing for MVC, we probably have um make it so you can manage re- you know, register any script, not just Atlas scripts in there, which I believe the current script manager, you can use it to register any kind of JavaScript, not just Atlas anyway. So I don't think that's a real change in anything, but that's kind of one of our things we're we're focusing on as we move forward is, you know, making sure we actually uh, try out our own extensibility layers, make sure we, you know, do play not play nice with others. <laughs> well, and this comes back to what you were saying earlier, where they're they're keeping you away from programming on the the MVC library itself because you're doing these kinds of tests. Yeah, you know, I, and it's, it's funny because, like, I think if 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 they did let me write code on it, I'd probably spend all my time writing. You know, like it, it'd just be so much fun to just be, dive into the framework and spend all my time in the framework and and completely neglect the the important part of. Uh, you know, building apps on top of the framework. Uh, you know, one story I was telling people is like, you know, part of the reason why our last preview wasn't as testable as we'd like is that, uh, the framework itself is actually very testable. We, um, we have a lot of unit tests. I think we have some over 90% code coverage in unit tests of the framework itself. But, uh, you know, something that I learned is that when you, when you can test the framework, that doesn't mean you can test applications that are built with the framework. Interesting. And yes, that's very. That's a very meta kind of problem. Yeah. Exactly, and it's not a problem that you know. Like when I was a consultant, I never faced that problem because I don't care if anyone can test my end app. I just care that I could test my code, right? Right. And so, um, I think that was, or actually, no, I should rephrase that. I didn't care if they could test stuff they could build with my app. <laughs> like that, that was just not a consideration, right? Yeah, but, it's not your problem. He, You're trying to just build your app. Yeah, yeah. I just want to know that if I built a framework, that they can build apps on my framework. But here, we're, we, we've, we've got to be a little more meta, right? We've got to look at, okay, when I build apps on my framework, can I, t- can I write uh, unit tests for my app in a nice, clean fashion? So, and and just writing, being able to write unit tests for the framework doesn't guarantee that you actually have to build apps and you actually have to test those apps, and then that is where you're going to really find problems. So, you know, the the nice part of my job though is that uh, you know, I I can employ the power of the lazy web, right? So, uh, and I I try to do this a lot where I, I'll even write blog posts and and be upfront about it. It's like, look, I'm trying to get you to do my job for me so I can sit back and drink martinis on my porch, right? <laughs> And which is, uh, you know, like because the source is out there, because we're trying to do this in a more transparent way, we we get a lot more people who are, are building real world apps. Um, one great example is Kig, K I G G, and uh, this is like I think the .NET Slackers guys who uh, apparently, uh, contrary to their name, put a lot of work into this app where it's a uh, Dig clone, so you know a D I G G clone, right? 
And so they did it in the uh, completely in ASP.NET MVC, and uh, you know they came up with some cool solutions for how they get you know r- you know they run into a few problems. How do you do this? How do you do that? And they came up with some cool solutions. So th- you know that kind of app building where um, provides feedback from real world apps. That's that's about the most valuable feedback we can get. Because you know initially when we came out, we got a lot of feedback of people who had never even tried it, right? And, and, and that, while that feedback certainly is valuable because, you know, there's some things you can look at code and how things structured and, and often provide valuable feedback. But it's those guys who went out and actually built apps and then reported problems, you know, from experience with building apps that really provided a lot of value to us as a team. And so we're, you know, we're trying to take that into consideration and, and stuff. And it's kind of funny because like I tend to, when I get a lot of feedback, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate. Um, and kind of question that, you know, like, you know, well, try to justify what we've done, even if I'm thinking, oh, you know, this person might be right. Yeah. Just to really tease out, you know, the uh, the core, the meat of it, right? And and when you know, when the feedback, the when the people can uh, explain their arguments really well and convince me, then, you know, it's a lot more valuable to us that, you know, I get all this extra data. But uh, and the reason I point that out is that recently, you know, um, Showing a few insiders uh, the some of the changes we're making, and they're like, "Dude, that was totally like my idea," and I thought you totally rejected it. And I said, "Well, oh, I man. never rejected it. I just merely challenged it and then kept it filed away in my head." You know, so <laughs> so well, they, it's just, I, there's, a, there's a Socratic element to pursuing an argument thoroughly, not just saying, "Yeah, okay." Yeah. Oh, because you said so, I'll do it. Right. Right. And sometimes what happens is also, I think the other element is that you really don't understand a problem until you experience it sometimes. So, like, what will happen is someone will say something and I'll argue against it. And, and maybe I did reject it at the time, but then I'll go build an app and kind of try to do a similar scenario to what they're doing. And I'll run into the problem and be like, oh, damn, they were right all along. <laughs> <laughs> but at that point, I understand the problem much better than I did before than just listening to them. So I, you know, I can provide better guidance for how we fix that problem. So, uh, you know, and, and now it was just a matter of, you know, trying to catch up. So now that I'm settled into my house up here and we're moved in, uh, I have a little more time to really kind of follow up with a lot of the the feedback that we've gotten and do app building that addresses it and see, yeah, these guys are right. No, that's not right. Whatever. <laughs> it's it's cool and it's very compelling. And you know, you've you've covered a tremendous amount of stuff here. Uh, and I'm hoping folks are keeping up in the sense of if you've got some idea about what MVC is all about. I, I grabbed onto something you said just off the cuff, which I think is a huge topic all by itself, which is view engines. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the model view controller and views are all about how, for the most part, how we build UIs, although there's some alternative approaches to that. Where do you see the view engine fitting in? So, uh, yeah, so the way it works right now is we have this concept of, uh, our view engines are really a lot like, we're using them a lot like templating engines, right? So uh, within a controller action, you'll, you know, call render view and you'll pass in a uh, some data or model data to the view. And that data might be your actual model objects or it might be some, you know, data transfer DTO type object that you wrote specifically for that view. Um, you pass that data to the view and then what happens is we actually use, uh, for our default view engine, we use web forms. But when you look at the web form, we're actually using it like a templating engine. Um, so we have in, uh, inline code there 
that would just print out the values of certain variables or certain properties of the the model data. The idea that, you know, and, and when people see that, they kind of freak out, right? Or some people. They, they kind of freak out and they think, oh, we're going back to classic ASP spaghetti code. Right. And, 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 and what I try to point out to people is that, well, yeah, but no. Because <laughs> uh, huh. with classic ASP, the problem was is there's no good guidance around structuring the code well. And, you, you know, it sort of lent itself. It was kind of like the, the pit of failure, right? It was that you would fall into putting business logic within these templates, right? And yes. some people did a good job of not doing that, but it just, you know, it just wasn't uh, natural. With the MVC framework, we try to structure things uh, and, and provide more, a little more guidance in terms of the, the conventions and the, the project structure uh, so that people fall into the pit of success, right? Like, the, you have these controllers, and that's where all the logic goes for uh, handling user input and, and dispatching, uh, you know, doing page flow and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, you, you might as well not put any business logic into the view. You can put uh, that stuff either into the controller or into your model logics, you know, depending on if it's domain logic or if it's just logic on what you want to presentation logic, right? So, uh, you know, I guess what I say is presentation logic belongs in the in the controller in terms of, like, what you're going to present. And then in the view, it's very minimal logic, right? It's just printing out values, maybe, uh, you know, a for loop in order to repeat some values. But uh, you shouldn't have any uh, sort of business logic in the view. And so when you say business logic, are you even talking just validation? Uh, yeah, um, you know, maybe validation or, or um, you know, people kind of have different, like, so the thing is, like, I don't think it's wrong to have any, to have logic in the view because I feel like if it's view logic, the whole separation of concerns means that that logic belongs in the view, right? Right. And so, and I'm thinking specifically in a web scenario where I can do some client side validation before I make that trip back to the server. Oh, right, right, right. So yeah, that, so client side validation, ideally that validation would be floated up from your domain objects. Uh, this is something that's actually, uh, is what dynamic data is addressing and, and I think is interesting. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I don't worry, I plan to tap Rob Connery on that topic. Oh, well, I'm talking about dynamic data from uh, the ASP.NET dynamic data. You guys should really do something with Scott Hunter. Oh, okay. But, but I thought he was working on that. Uh, well, no, Rob Rob Connery is uh, Mr. Subsonic. I thought he came on board, too. Oh, yeah, he's he's on board. He's kind of... He's kind of got this interesting role. Uh, he's working on a little bit on Subsonic, but he's also kind of working on building, uh, uh, like doing app building and, and uh, kind of building sort of like sugar on top of what we're doing. Oh, okay. well, tell, tell the listeners what Dynamic Data is all about, because this is the first we mentioned it on the show. Yeah, I think Dynamic Data right now might be the most in- misunderstood ASP, new ASP.NET technology coming out. And it's interesting because I was talking with Scott Hanselman about this, and he said, like, you know, he kind of dismissed it, and then just recently, like, his eyes opened up. Because uh, w- sometimes we use the term scaffolding when we describe it, and I don't uh, think it does it justice because it's a lot. Immediately, I think Rails, right? Right, exactly. And it, and it's a lot more than just scaffolding. Uh, you know, in some ways, scaffolding is a nice way to think about it because that's the end result is you can do scaffolding with it. But uh, it doesn't do any kind of code generation. It's all a runtime templating so that the scaffolding you build, you don't, uh, you don't have to throw away. 
which is a common thing you do with regular scaffolding. Is it's just there as a placeholder, then you you would rewrite it or you know with something more more durable. But uh, they're working on a uh, an approach that's going to be more durable right off the bat. Uh, the other cool aspect of it is that um, there's a way to um, mark up your model objects, right? And you don't have to do them in the model logic. You can do them in a separate class as well or, or you know, eventually. Uh, I don't know what their plans are. If you can also do them in config. But right now you can add these attributes that provide hints to, um, you know, up-level uh, views, right? Uh, so sure. the idea, uh, a classic example is you might say that this is a, a this value should be in the range 0 to 10 or, um, you know, this, uh, rend- this field can be rendered with a slider in- and using a string. And so when you render out like that, that field, that data row, for example, or, or the corresponding object for that data row, and it looks at these attributes and says, oh, here's a render hint. This says slider. If I have a control that's registered to be a slider, and by registered I mean placed in the appropriate conventional location, it will use the slider. Otherwise, it will use the, the corresponding template for the data type. And one of the things it does is also provides hints about, you know, validation so that the UI layer will then just dynamically add the appropriate validator controls. So, like, what validation happens and, and the logic for that validation is still in your model, but the UI elements, you know, kind of dynamically attach to it, so to speak. Interesting. Did I... Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, no, you're blowing my mind, but this is all good stuff in right. the sense that, uh, you know, we're just getting closer to, to this thing happening naturally. And, and, you know, it's an extension of that concept of, you know, you write your validation code in the model and it bubbles to the view. Sa- exactly, exactly the same it. idea. That, that's, the, that's the goal. So here's a great example. Is I, so I write this model object. I put a... I have a property and it has a certain constraint on what the valid values are, right? And so I just put this attribute on that that says those are the valid values. And then uh, now I send that to an you know, ASP.NET page uh, using dynamic data. And so it show, renders a, um, a range validator on it. But now I send that same object later. I was like, oh, I want to send that to Silverlight, right, a Silverlight client. So Silverlight would have its own validation mechanism, but it would uh, be using, you know, it would, so that validation log would float up to the Silverlight client, which is running in the in the client's browser, right? So this whole concept of having the logic in your model and having the validation float up to the client level, I think that's going to be um, really cool for um, when we can get some of that approach in MVC, too, in, in terms of trying to keep the, the concerns separated. Excellent. Well, Phil, any final thoughts? We're coming down to the end of the show here. Sure. I'd say if you're uh, interested in a- ASP.NET MVC, you know, definitely take a look at the Preview 2, which is up. Um, for information on MVC, we have a central page now, uh, www.asp.net slash MVC. So you go to that page and you can find links to all our other resources. Um, the CodePlex page is codeplex.com slash ASP.NET all one word, A-S-P-N-E-T. And uh, that's going to be the home. For, the reason that that's not called MVC is that's going to be home for other types of out-of-band future projects that we might want to put up there. So uh, you'll see that this is not just an MVC trend, uh, but it's kind of part of a bigger trend uh, for more transparency in our group. And... Uh, um, oh, and then, of course, you know, I'm always writing about this stuff on my blog, hack.com. 
I thought you quit blogging. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that was an April Fool's joke. At the very end of the post, in a very tiny, tiny font, I wrote, yes, this is an April Fool's joke. But, uh, you know, I probably should have made it a little bigger because a lot of people didn't get that. Well, how many uh, people read a blog post to the end anyway, right? <laughs> that's right. They just scan it and then they leave a comment. Exactly. <laughs> You're full of crap. Right. Well, the, the first comment, that, so basically this, my April Fool's joke was to write that I'm quitting blogging. And the first comment was my favorite. It says, thank God your blog is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had to reply to that one by saying, best comment ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was just an April Fool's joke. I uh, I haven't blogged since then just because uh, it's like an April Fool's joke coming true because I've just been so busy and kind of, uh, you know, just enjoying uh, enjoying other hobbies that I have apart from blogging. But uh, um, I definitely need to get back to it. But, yeah, I write a lot about NBC there. Um there's actually one guy who uh, wrote a blog post entirely, like, within the title of the blog post was something like, you've been hacked, uh, well, what have what happened to you've been hacked? Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, and he, he was kind of concerned that uh, I was spending too much time writing on NBC, you know, I guess the Borgen plant's firing, right? <laughs> uh, and not enough time just writing on general software topics. So it, it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, like I read that and I was like, okay, well, you know, it's it's kind of nice to be able to write about my job on my blog because then I can use work time. But, but I also got, you know, I really got his point in that, like, you know, I want to try to mix it up a little more. So, but then what happened was, uh, you know, I was like, oh wait, I've written how many NBC posts in a row? Oh, it's time for a non-NBC post, and I was just flat out idea so <laughs> well and we blog about what we know so of course you're going to write about your work oh yeah 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 but uh i i know more than everything <laughs> oh i see well <laughs> <laughs> i know stuff about uh other stuff like i don't know <laughs> other stuff <laughs> there's some text yeah. uh yeah, Subtext. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, I might as well put a plug. We're, now that I'm settled in, uh, so Subtext development stopped for a while, but now that I'm settled in, we're uh, kind of kicking off development on Subtext, so we should see something out there soon. I'm uh, planning to write a blog post on that since that's not MVC related. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, so I think uh, so far it's been fun joining Microsoft. I, I really, really like Redmond and Seattle and Bellevue area. And uh, it's really cool being part of Skaku's uh, ninja team, as you, uh, as you call them. <laughs> yes, them. the secret ninja army. That's right, the secret ninja army, yes. you got to work on my shuriken skills. We, we've been enjoying watching the secret ninja army form and waiting to see when you actually take over the world, because apparently one of your members is now a senior a vice president. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So what's next? First vice president, next CEO. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Ray, Steve, look out. Watch out. All right. Oh, Guys in black pajamas. <laughs> All right, Phil, we got to get out of here. But, man, it's been fun talking to you. Yeah, it's good talking to you guys, too. Thanks for sharing your insight. All right. Well, talk to you later. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, 
video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 